Hello, I am Bob Bostock. You are listening to Discover DEP, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's official podcast. Each week, we will provide you with timely information about how DEP protects and preserves New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. Please feel free to add this podcast to your iTunes or RSS feed. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can download Discover DEP and subscribe to future editions through iTunes and Google Play. Today we are joined by Dr. Ken Lacavera, founding dean of the School of Earth and Environment at Rowan University. Dr. Lacavera is here to talk about the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park at Rowan University. Once a moral pit, this fossil park is becoming a must-see destination for paleontologists, geologists, and other researchers around the world. Ken, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. It's my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Ken, tell us a little bit about why this fossil park is such a unique and special place, really, anywhere in the world. Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that preserved in the bottom of the fossil quarry, which is a four-acre former mine that's now in 65 acres of preserved land, near the bottom of that, there is a bone bed. And by bone bed, I mean a a thick collection of uh, vertebrate fossils. And paleontologists have known about this for decades. But when you only have access to a bone bed like that in, in the vertical section, which we had when it was a mine, you can't assess the context of those fossils. So whenever you see a, a collection like that, you have to think, well, maybe it was a time-averaged accumulation. Maybe those animals accumulated over months or years. Maybe they washed in from elsewhere. We call that a lag deposit. Or maybe they all died at the same time. So about five years ago, I managed to get the company to go in and with their bulldozer and table off an area of, of about 200 square meters. So for the first time ever, we could get to that layer from the top down. We could grid it out in in one meter squares and go down and map everything and sieve all the sediment that came out so that we didn't miss anything. And when we did that, we saw that we had a, a high proportion of fossil individuals where their skeletons were either articulated, like yours is now, the bones touching in life position, or associated. That means that they've been moved just a little bit apart, like when you dislocate your shoulder. So you only get articulated and associated specimens if they die there and are buried quickly afterwards. So now we we knew we had a a death event recorded at the bottom of the quarry. And we knew that was near the end of the Cretaceous period. That's the end of the time of the dinosaurs that ends about 65 million years ago. But what is close in geology is that 1,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years is pretty close when you're looking at deposits that are 65 million years old. But in the last few years we have begun to discover indicators of meteor impact. Not not an impact that happened there at the site, but elsewhere in the world. And it's well known that the end of the time of the dinosaurs, the end of the Cretaceous period, happens when an asteroid about the size of Manhattan, going 25 times the speed of a bullet, hits off the coast of Mexico, blows a 120-mile crater in the ground that's about 15 miles deep, and all that debris flies up through the atmosphere, and it starts to rain down across the whole globe. And so when that happens, you get little beads of glass that were bits of molten rock that were flying through the atmosphere. You get grains of quartz that have been hit so hard that turns them into a different kind of uh, mineral. We call it shocked quartz. 
You get a spike in the element iridium, which is very, very rare in the crust of the Earth, but much more common in asteroids and some other indicators. So we're starting to pick up these indicators right in this death bed. That must have been terribly exciting. It's really exciting. But, you know, it's very, very hard to say that you have a particular day in history, like literally a Thursday, that happened 65 million years ago. So we've been very cautious about proceeding with this. But things are starting to line up, and it's starting to look like the only place in the world now where you can put your finger on a fossil individual like an extinct sea monster, these mosasaurs, or an extinct crocodile, and say... That very individual died in that pivotal calamitous day that wiped out the dinosaurs and essentially made the modern world as we know it. The only place you can see that is in the Edelman Fossil Park behind a Lowe's in South Jersey. <laughs> That's extraordinary. A kind of prosaic location, but uh, truly historic. It is. And, you know, I've spent my career traveling around the world, digging up dinosaurs and other creatures in the Sahara Desert in Egypt and Patagonia in Argentina and the Gobi Desert in China. And always, while I'm working in the field, I'm always looking for this layer, the boundary layer at the end of the time of the dinosaurs, and I'm always looking to see if I can find that layer with fossils in it. And, and I've never been able to do that anywhere else in the world, nor has anyone else. And then it turns out that this site that's four miles from where I went to college has this thing that I've been looking for all over the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of that final line in The Wizard of Oz where... <laughs> Dorothy says, you know, if you want to find your own true purpose, you don't have to go further than your own backyard. That's right. That's right. And I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis who said, uh, you know, at the end of uh, all our explorations, we return home only then to know the place for the first time. Yeah, extraordinary. That's yeah. that's amazing. But Now, this used to be a quarry. What was quarried there? Uh, so it was a mine from at least 1888 until just last year. In 1926, a company called Inversan began operations there. Previously, it was mined for fertilizer. And so what farmers in South Jersey call marl, like Marlton and Marlboro, mm -hmm. it's a, a very rich kind of sediment always associated with a marine environment, acidic-loving plants like it. And so it was mined for those purposes. But then after World War II, Many of the munitions factories in the United States converted into fertilizer factories. And so it became cheaper for a farmer to go down to the general store and to buy a bag of fertilizer than to go out back and dig it out of their own marl pit. So the thousands and thousands of marl pits up and down the East Coast, they all closed. And they're all below the water table, so they all became ponds. And that's why in the East Coast, so many of the municipal parks are a series of you know, half a dozen ponds kind mm. of strung together. These are the old marl pits. This particular site was owned by a chemist named Churchill Hungerford. And he developed a way to attach manganese to the sediment, which turned it into a really good water filtration process. And those were sold to industrial and municipal uh, water filtering operations all around the world. The bottom of that market began to fall out about seven years ago when a synthetic product out of Brazil came online. And so they knew they needed to fold up shop there. And the plan was to fill in the quarry and develop it, turn it into a Costco or something like that. And then I got involved and I, I met Michelle Bruner, who is the economic uh, development head of Mantua Township. I explained to her what we had there. And then the township really got behind this. And we worked for about four years to try to find a way to save this site. And then finally, I got a call from the president of Rowan University, Ali Hushman, 
and he said, hey, why don't you come over to Glassboro and let's have breakfast at Angelo's Diner. And so we talked about this site and the promise of the site and the promise of building a school of earth and environment at Rowan University. And uh, we put a deal together that then saved the fossil park, uh, brought me from what was my academic home at Drexel University over to Rowan University. And the whole thing has really worked out great from there. Really special thing about this site, in addition to the science that I described that's possible there, above that layer, there's about 25 vertical feet of sediment along the walls of the quarry that is just after the time of the dinosaurs. So it's all about 65 million years old still, and it's full of fossils, and we can let visitors collect from those layers. So everybody that goes there who tries a little bit and who isn't afraid to get their hands dirty finds a 65 million year old fossil with their own hands that they get to take home. That's pretty cool. It's just a mind-blowing experience for people. And we've seen it over and over. When kids go there and they make that personal connection between themselves and the Earth's ancient past, it really changes the way they think about the planet. And the other thing that they learn there is that science is a process. It's a way of processing information in a rational way. It's about asking questions about your world in a rational way. And they go there and they see my undergraduates and my grad students working, and they see that science is done by people. You know, and they can look at themselves and they say, well, well, I'm a people. So, you know, maybe this is something that I could do, too. So when we opened up our quarry for our last community dig day, which was in September, the 2,000 spots filled up with online registration in 23 minutes. Wow. <laughs> and we now have uh, 212 school groups on the waiting list to visit the property. So it's become incredibly popular and people are really thirsty for these hands-on science learning experiences. So what sort of fossils are found uh, at the site? In that deathbed and below, uh, we find all the things that you expect to find in a, in a Cretaceous marine deposit. And so the, the fossils behave very, very well there. All the things that should be in the Cretaceous are in the Cretaceous. All the things that are known to have gone extinct elsewhere in the world at the end of the time of the dinosaurs are never found one inch above that layer. And so below, uh, it's a marine deposit. So we find uh, mostly sharks. We have four different species of sea turtle that we find there, four different species of marine crocodile. We find mosasaurs there. And if your uh, listeners don't know what that is, think of a Komodo dragon mm -hmm. that's as long as a bus, lives in the ocean, has paddles for limbs, has a six-foot jaw, and then at the top of their throat, they have a second set of teeth that points backwards to keep you from swimming back out. Whoa. So sea monster. Basically, yeah. glad we don't see those off the coast of New Jersey anymore. Yeah, you would not want to be in the water with those things. Yeah. They would uh, eat you like an M&M. Ah. <laughs> and uh, we occasionally find the remains of terrestrial creatures there. So it's it's a marine deposit, and and all dinosaurs lived on land. The mosasaurs and plesiosaurs, those big swimming reptiles, not dinosaurs, but lived along with the dinosaurs. The flying reptiles, like the pterosaurs, pterodactyls, also not dinosaurs. The only dinosaurs that ever flew were the birds. And so all the dinosaurs are on the land, but occasionally a dinosaur dies and ends up in the water along the coast. And initially their body sinks, but as the uh, bacteria kind of chew through the meat, the decay gases turn them into sort of like a floating giant meat buoy that bobs around out at sea. And as the carcass rots, parts of the skeleton start to drop out. And that's how the first dinosaur skeletons were found in the world. Uh, dinosaurs are first known from some really scrappy remains found in Britain. And they're, they're given that name in 1842, and dinosaur means terrible lizard. And they had such poor remains with which to work, they just thought they were these big puffed up lizards. So that's 1842. 
1858, the, the world's first substantially complete dinosaur skeleton is found in Haddonfield, New Jersey. In another marl pit, it's a, it's a partial skeleton of a duckbill dinosaur. It's taken to, to New York. It's, it's made into a skeletal mount, which is brought back to the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. And uh, it, people from all around the world then are coming to see this South Jersey dinosaur. And it really kind of starts the dinosaur craze that still exists today. And then in 1866, the world's first tyrannosaur is found in Mantua Township, South Jersey, about a mile from this site. There are a family of tyrannosaurs. T-Rex isn't the only tyrannosaur. There are about two dozen others. And uh, T-Rex wasn't the first discovered. The first discovered was this one from Mantua Township called Dryptosaurus. And other dinosaurs discovered in the area in Mullica Hill, in Barnesboro, in Swedesboro, Pedricktown. So southern New Jersey is really the cradle of dinosaur paleontology. Many people don't realize this, and we are really trying to educate people about the amazing heritage that this area has within paleontology and within science. It's globally important. You mentioned that the fossils that are being found in the deathbed were marine animals, so that means that a good part of southern New Jersey, at least, was underwater during that period. That's right. Uh, during the end of the Cretaceous period, the planet is very, very warm. And when that happens, like is happening today, ice melts. And so at the end of the Cretaceous, there's no ice on the continents. There's no ice in Antarctica, which is still at the South Pole. There's no ice in the mountains. All that water is in the ocean. And it raises the level of the sea so high that vast parts of continents are flooded everywhere. The Gulf of Mexico inundated North America, went right up through the middle and connected to the Arctic Ocean. So North America at that time is two big islands. And New Jersey is off the east coast of the eastern island of North America. The actual coastline has been lost. It would have been up in Pennsylvania somewhere, maybe about 20 or 25 miles in from the Delaware. Uh, but Pennsylvania is topographically higher, so it sheds sediment towards the sea. And so all of the New Jersey coastal plain and the continental shelf, all of that sediment, which is a couple of miles thick by the time you get out to the end of the shelf, that was all from the top of the Appalachians. And the Appalachians used to be as high as the Himalayan mountains. So you take the coastal plain and continental shelf, put it back on the Appalachians, and you have the, the Himalayas. So I guess on those Pennsylvania license plates where it says where America begins, they're thinking back to the Cretaceous period. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> The Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park is an exciting project that you are heading. Tell us a little bit about that. It's amazingly exciting, Bob. So two alumni from Rowan University, Gene and Rick Edelman, a couple, they stepped forward in October and announced a $25 million gift to the fossil park. And so we are now in the process of designing and we will be building a world-class visitor center and museum that features the science taking place on the site, but really will provide a, a gateway to the STEM disciplines for thousands and thousands of students. And we know that people are going to come visit this facility from all over the planet. And our goal with this isn't to train thousands and thousands of vertebrate paleontologists. The, the world sort of has, has enough of those, actually. <laughs> but it's to really open up these pathways into science, technology, engineering, and, and math. And I always call fossils the gateway drug to the sciences. You know, you get a kid hooked on science through fossils when they're young, and then they begin to think using the scientific method. They begin to ask questions about their world in this rational way, and it's our belief that once that's how you think, that's how you think, right? And then you can apply that way of thinking to 
physics and chemistry and medicine and pharmacology and business and all the things the world needs a lot of. And sure, and it really makes for better citizens as well. Well, it does. You know, part of our mission really is to develop a better, more informed citizenry. And with the myriad of environmental crises that we are faced with right now globally, it's never been more important for people to have an appreciation of science and the way science works and to have, you know, at least a basic understanding of environmental issues that are going to become more and more important in the future. And so, you know, the planet is warming right now. That is incontrovertible. There are legitimate debates about how we should respond to global warming, but you cannot debate that the planet is warming. You know, you don't get your own facts on these issues. And so there's no question about that. There's no question that the seas are rising right now. There's no question that we have a biodiversity crisis. We're losing species at an alarming rate that in the future will look like a mass extinction event that's going on right now. There's no question that environmental degradation is a problem and toxicity in our groundwater and in our air and, you know, the things that the DEP works so hard to help resolve. And so people need to know that those issues exist and that those issues are real and that we need to find solutions to those issues or at least find ways to stem the damage or we won't enjoy a future that's as good as our present. That reminds me, I just read recently that exit polls showed that among voters who came out, environmental issues were way down the list of things that they were concerned about. So helping voters become more aware of the challenges we face in the environment is going to be another important contribution that uh, this fossil park is going to make. Yeah, that's right. And we are designing the visitor center with that in mind. And in the School of Earth and Environment, we are designing our curricula with that in mind. Because 50 years from now, there's not going to be a debate about these things. It's going to be painfully obvious to everyone that the planet is warming, that sea level is rising, that we've messed up large portions of our environment. And everybody is going to care about those issues. And we need to be positioned to help the population understand those issues and make good choices. Tell us a little bit about the School of Earth and Environment. You're the founding dean. How old is this school? Is it, I understand it's relatively new. Uh, the school is one year and uh, three months old uh, uh, right now. Even in human terms, that's new, <laughs> let alone is, in geologic. <laughs> it is new. So we have a new department of geology and a new department of environmental science. In geology, we now have a state-approved bachelor's degree, so we are offering a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Arts in Geology. Uh, in the BS degree, students now can major in general geology for students who aren't quite sure what they want to do or want to use that as a springboard to graduate school. Or a lot of students now use a geology degree as a pre-professional degree. So they get that and they go on and get a, a law degree or an MBA, and then they, they're set up to work in these green industries and the green economy that's going to be so important in the future. Our most populous major Within geology, I expect to be applied geology, and that will train students to go out and work in the environmental consulting fields that are so important in New Jersey to come and work at the DEP and the EPA and the USGS, et cetera. And then we'll, we will have uh, paleontology, and you know, students, I think, are going to come from all over the country because of the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park, and they're going to grow up essentially being educated in this fossil park, which will be an amazing experience for them. And I understand DEP is partnering with you as you develop the curriculum and the goals for, for the new Earth and Environment School. That's right. And we're really excited about this because 
our goals and, and the goals of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection are the same. Right? We're, we're all interested in cleaning up our environment to stop some of the things that, that have degraded the environment in the past and to educate people about the importance of these issues. And so we're having a meeting with uh, some DEP folks to get their input into the development of our curriculum. And we're doing the same thing. We're bringing in industry experts as well to get their input into our curriculum because we want to train students who are superbly prepared to go out there and get those entry-level jobs in the environmental fields, but also trained so that they will quickly advance through the ranks in those companies or those agencies. And so we really think it's, a, it's crucial to get that input right at the very first steps in, in the design of these curricula. And hopefully this school will persuade a lot of these students to stay in New Jersey once they graduate. It's, uh, we need to retain more of our college graduates here in the state in the years ahead. Well, we do. And there are 100 environmental consulting firms within an hour's drive of Rowan University. And these jobs are good-paying jobs. They're fast-growing jobs. The U.S. Department of Labor predicts that by 2025, we will have a 20% shortfall in geologists in the market. The demographics of geologists are are skewed towards the older and the average age of a geologist in the United States is 55. And the median income is $80,000. So these are good jobs and these it's a growing field and many geologists will be retiring. So it's, it's really a growth area and particularly in New Jersey where there's so much work in the environmental fields. Well, and so much work in paleontology too. We seem to be the birthplace of modern paleontology. And now with the discovery of the deathbed down in Mantua Township. I think the focus of the world will once again be here on the Garden State. Yeah, I think you're right, Bob. And, you know, we're really excited to not just put this community on the map, but to really turn, the, as you say, the, the world's eyes towards, towards this area that has such a rich uh, scientific heritage. Also, you know, I think the, the potential for economic development with respect to the fossil park is not lost on anyone. So with tourists coming from all over the world to the uh, Edelman Fossil Park, that's going to bolster the regional businesses. And already the township is talking about growing in a way that supports that. The county has a very ambitious uh, trail map, and so they're connecting bike and pedestrian trails across the county to the Fossil Park. Uh, It won't be too long, I think, until you'll be able to ride your bike from Philadelphia all the way to the Edelman Fossil Park. New Jersey tourism, South Jersey tourism, the chambers of commerce are all really excited about the possibilities going on here and and really um, eager to to work with us on developing this as we are with them. Well, a tremendous resource like this reminds me of the truth behind the saying that human beings are not apart from the environment, but we are a part of the environment. And that is such an important thing for all of us to remember going forward. I want to thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, We have on our description of the podcast a link uh, to the resources that are available at Rowan about the Edelman Fossil Park, and we will also uh, put a link to your TED Talk, which uh, you are our first guest on our podcast who has uh, given a TED Talk, so that's uh, well worth noting as well. So thank you so much, Ken, for being with us. Really appreciate it, and I look forward to getting down to the Edelman Fossil Park very, very soon. Well, please come down. You'll enjoy it. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. 
enjoy the rest of your day.